Welcome back to the Carp Chronicles podcast. This is a Q&A episode and I'm actually out on the bank fishing, which is quite unusual for these episodes. But I thought, why not? Might as well record this episode whilst I'm out here. I'm actually sat in my car, uh, but I am next to the rods fishing. Obviously, I'm not using my usual microphone and audio setup, so the quality probably isn't going to be quite as good as normal, but it should be absolutely fine. But nonetheless, we are out here fishing which makes quite a refreshing change for me as far as these podcasts go now this is a Q&A episode for those of you who don't know how this works basically I submit a question uh, a story post onto Instagram and you guys submit your questions and I cherry pick out the best ones that I think will fit the podcast the best now unfortunately I can't answer everyone's question it would just take far too long so apologies if I didn't get to yours Um, but nonetheless I, I think I have chosen questions that would pe- appeal to a, a kind of a fairly broad audience. Obviously, I mean, let's be honest, it's going to be pretty bait intensive um, just because that's that's what we're known for. And that's the way the podcast has gone. Um, but I have picked on a few other topics as well on watercraft, uh, how I approach this time of the year, new waters and, and different things like that. So there's something for everyone in this episode. But of course, there's going to be quite a bit of bait chat as there always is. Now with that being said I have an exciting announcement, it's exciting for me at least, I have teamed up with Target Baits and Target Baits are going to be sponsoring this podcast moving forward which is fantastic because it enables me to do more of these podcasts um, which is certainly something that you guys are always crying out for so big thank you to Target Baits. For those of you who don't know who Target Baits are They offer different bait ingredients, base mix ingredients, additives, liquids, bulk powders, particles, or a whole host of different things around bait for the angler who either rolls his own or tinkers with bait. So I guess that's probably most of the listeners on this podcast. So check them out if you haven't done so already. The website is targetbaits.co.uk. You can get 10% off there at checkout if you use the code chronicles10 and yeah i urge you to check them out if you haven't done so already i think it was probably about 18 months ago maybe two years actually uh, that i first came across target baits and to be honest i found myself using them more and more they are they offer very good quality ingredients they're very fresh which anyone who knows me knows I'm absolutely paranoid about freshness, so that is a big, big thing for me. Um, And yeah, I've just had a brilliant experience with them. Really, really do rate them highly. As I said, great quality products, super fresh, and brilliant prices as well, so what more do you want? Uh, So yeah, anyway, don't want to waffle on about them too much, but go ahead, check out targetbaits.co.uk, and if you do order, grab yourself 10% off, you might as well, with the code chronicles 10 at checkout. Right, that's it for the intro. Let's get into this episode. Um, these questions, I haven't, you know, I haven't got my answers up my sleeve. The way I do it is I just screenshot the questions that I think would be good to answer, and then I just answer them off the cuff. So you're getting the most natural answer that you can do. Um, so first question up: margin fishing, lead size, amount of bait, and application. So, good one to kick off with because I do a lot of margin fishing. In fact, I would say, I don't know, 90% of my fishing, certainly this year, has been short sessions, 
most of the time in the margin. Um, it's a lovely way to fish. I pretty much started fishing this way. Um, I think <clears throat> in angling, we all kind of have our own little home, don't we? <laughs> you know, some people are, you know, spot to a, a marker uh, or wraps now, isn't it, these days that, you know, they're spotters, they fish at range that's their kind of that's their home that's where they sit other people like me might be more kind of stalking in the edge that's definitely my strong suit um i'm better at that than i am you know fishing at range and i like to know what's going on you know i first off i want to find the fish i don't think enough people spend enough effort and time finding the fish you know people will f spend a lot of time finding a spot that they think is going to yield fish but, you know, find the fish, surely. Um, and an easy way of doing that is obviously in the margin. Now, it can be quite tricky, margin fishing, of course. Um, but the rewards are there. And it's just so exciting, in my opinion. So, yeah. Anyway, I do a lot of margin fishing. So the questions, uh, lead size. As big as I can get away with, I want that freaking rig to be nailed on. Um, now, if I'm casting to fish that are maybe a rod length or so out, I would drop... I would drop the lead size down because that splash in the water. I, I want to, I want to create the minimal amount of disturbance as I can. But if I'm lowering a rig in um, next to a tree, for example, or wherever in the margin, if I'm lowering it in. I like a nice five ounce lead. Um, I don't, I don't think they spook off a big lead. I really don't. Um, I mean, don't use like a, a pink sea fishing lead. Although I don't know, would they see it as pink? That's a different, that's a whole different topic on that one but yeah pick something that's going to blend in with the bottom and i don't think there's any downside of having a big lead on there um so i again if i'm fishing in fairly firm bottom in the edge i'll fish big lead and i'll fish it in line drop off i'm sure you all know how to do that you just run it around the outside poke the thing in the end i won't teach you how to suck eggs on that um but yeah that's how i fish it i want them to be you know i want that hook to be driven home um, and you can, I think I've spoken about this before. You can, if you, you could test this yourself, if you put on, say, a, a three ounce lead in an inline or a lead clip or whatever, you can pick the hook up, like put your finger onto the hook, underwater this is, and you can swing it around and it doesn't, the hook won't penetrate your finger. Um, because obviously a certain percentage of the weight is negated because it's submerged in the water. Um, there was actually, I can't remember, there is a video on YouTube that demonstrates this beautifully, and I can't remember who did the video. Apologies. It might have been Corda. I don't know. Um, but it's quite an eye-opener. So, yeah, basically for me, I have a, I've, I mean, I've used heavy leads for absolutely years. I really rate heavy leads. But for me, it's a five-ounce inline and a really sharp hook. And I tend to go fairly short on the hook, hook length. Uh, I I've so many times I've seen them get away with longer hook lengths in the margins. Um, generally, they're not moving. They're potentially not moving as much in the margins. So they're not tightening up that hook length to make contact with the lead too soon. So for me, fairly short hook length, uh, you know, more or less as short as I can get away with. Let's say maybe five inches, usually five, six inches. Um, if I was fishing for smaller fish, I'd probably shorten that down a bit more. Um, and yeah, big old lead and a sharp old hook. Now, in terms of the amount of bait, I don't go heavy because I think if, if you've got a carp that's patrolling a margin, 
it's gone past, it's, it goes up, turns around, then it comes back, all of a sudden, bam, there's five kilos of bait in front of it. I don't, I don't know. It, just, it could work, could work really, really well, but it's not really the way to go in my experience. So I use small little traps. Uh, I like using powder. This is actually how I developed the primer powder that I sell. I'm not trying to plug that, but the primer powder by OptiBates came about from this. You know, I wanted to get a lot of attraction in the area. I wanted to be able to pull them into the area, but not have loads of feedstuffs, uh, but I wanted to switch them into a feeding mode. So obviously when the carp, certain receptors in the carp will fire off when it detects things like amino acids, organic acids, etc., um, And those receptors being triggered will change the carp's neurology. Now you want it to be changed into a mode where it wants to feed. So that's how the, the primer powder came about. But um, yeah, that, I like to do that. So I like a lot of attraction, but I don't necessarily like a lot of baits, a lot of items to pick up. You want to minimalize that and therefore increasing the chances of them picking up your hook bait. So yeah, I use small amounts of bait and I use a pow powders if I can do. That can be as simple as getting a blend of powders, mixing it with a bit of water um, to kind of form a paste. You can chuck it in um, or slop if you like, and then you'll see it just kind of disintegrating through the water column. Uh, there's loads of attraction in there. I really, really do rate that. That being said, there's times and places where I think actually I don't want to do that. I just want maybe a single, a single boilie, a single pop-up, a single nut. I use nuts quite a lot in the margins. Um, sometimes that is the way to go. And when are those times? When is it? How do you know if it's if that's the way to go? I guess it, that's hard to explain. You just kind of get a feeling, and maybe I'm wrong, but you kind of I think over over the years and the more experience you get, you know when to put a load of attraction out and when to just maybe just have that little tiny kind of chewed down tiger nut, for example, you kind of get a feel for it. Um, what I will say is if, if you're seeing carp take a particularly tight route, so they, let's say you found a carp and it's, it will patrol the margin every, I don't know, however long. If it takes the exact same route, it's going around a snag or it's going next to a weed bed, if it's that exact same route every time, I think that's a pretty good time to just put out a single bait. Again, it's, it's almost like a, a, a bait that's you know escaped being spotted out or in the catapult or whatever. I think they generally, they'll often just kind of drop down onto that bait and take it quite freely whilst on the move, by the way which is brilliant because then the rig mechanics come into play to full effect. Yeah, I quite, I quite like doing that. And again, you don't, you don't need like a, I, in that scenario, I wouldn't put on a super bright pop-up, <laughs> you know, that's like oozing with attraction. Again, I just think that's overdoing it. A much more subtle bait would be the way that I went with that. Um, so yeah, anyway, hopefully that, that answers your question. Uh, it's a fairly broad question, so I guess you just wanted just a little bit of insight. So hopefully I have answered that. Um, now, the next question <clears throat> is from someone that asked me this over a year ago, embar embarrassingly enough. Uh, but I recently started, I started chatting to him and it came to light that I hadn't answered the question. So I thought, you know what? This is probably a good episode to do this in. Now, this one's from Rybon. 
and he asks, this is quite a long-winded question, but I will read it out and then we'll kind of dissect it. Uh, so he says, do you think that baiting up with an own brand does actually get the carp in tune with that flavor and bait? And if so, how do you validate that? For example, recently a TA vlog angler chucks his bait in areas across the lake before he leaves. His thoughts are that the carp will get used to eating his bait and searching it out specifically. If this is the case, do you think it's a one-trick pony method? Because if a carp becomes comfortable and confident with seeking out a specific boilie amongst a hundred others and then gets caught on it, does the carp begin to purposely ignore that bait because it's got caught on it and then rendering it all useless? So what he's, there's kind of two parts to this. I'll answer them in each, in two parts, so to speak. Do I think it's really worthwhile and good to bait different areas of the lake? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, anyone that listens to this will know that I'm a big, big fan of pre-baiting. Now, the way that I pre-bait isn't so much to get the carp looking for my bait. It's more so, although that does come into it, it's more so to get certain areas going. So I don't have that much time to go fishing anymore. I make sure I go every single week, but I'm just doing... You know, sometimes I will literally only be at the lake for a few hours. Other times not. Other times I might be there for 12 hours. Um, but sometimes I'm literally just there for a few hours. So I want to go there. And if I can't find fish in the edge, if I can't find fish feeding, I want an area that I can go to. And I know the carp have been frequenting it, picking up baits from there. So I'll often pre-bait with different baits even. Example, I'm pre-baiting somewhere um, now, which isn't too far from where I live in the Cotswolds. And at the moment, I'm putting anything in there just to get this spot going. Um, so example, yesterday uh, I used some pellet. Last week I was using hemp. Um, I do kind of go for the smaller size stuff in the beginning to get to get a spot working. I don't really mind what fish are in there. It doesn't bother me if the bream are in there, the roach, whatever. That's absolutely fine. I just want to get that spot active. Carp and other fish know what's going on in their environment. They know if other fish are feeding there. Um, and indeed, when a fish picks up a bait and chews it through its uh, pharyngeal teeth, and then it's losing some out of its gill rakers, it's losing some out of its mouth, you're dispersing that food signal within the water column. Anyway, <laughs> so I don't mind if, if uh, there are other species getting it. And then I might start introducing some boilies, um, and some nuts, different things like that. So what I'm trying to say is I'm doing it to get the spot going, not necessarily to get that bait established. Now, if I was using a bait from a company, I roll my own bait. So, so obviously I don't do this, but if I was, the way I would do it is I would choose a bait that was quite different from the norm. Because let's be honest, a lot of these companies are churning out very, very similar baits. It doesn't matter what the marketing blurb says. They're all much of a... A lot of them are much of a muchness, okay? Now, there's two ways you could go with this. You could think, well, that's great because everyone else is fishing the same bait. So the carp get used to that bait. That is absolutely true. I really do think that. And certainly if I was going for a guest, let's say... Or let's say I was going to France for a week. You know, I'm not going to be going and establishing a bait or a spot in that time, am I? So for me personally, I would figure out what bait works really well on that venue and then I would use that bait. 
if I wanted to roll the dice, I would find out what bait <laughs> gets used on that venue and then I'd use something completely different. So for example, if it was absolutely you know, dominated, quote unquote, by Sticky Baits Krill, I might go in with a really high protein, high quality milk bait, and then you're just flying in the face. But with that being said, you are rolling the dice. It could work phenomenally well, or you could be better off with the, the sticky baits. Generally, I'd hedge my bets, I think, and probably just use the bait that is established. Anyway, I digress. So if I was buying a bait, yeah, I would choose something very different from the other baits that were going in there, and I would bait up a lot with it. Um, presuming I had the money to do so. And I think what you're doing there is you're giving the fish something different that they're not used to, that they will, presuming, you know, providing it is a good bait, they will latch onto. And doing things differently like that have just, they've yielded brilliant results for me just so many times. I can't, I, I, I find it hard to argue against that. So just to reiterate, doing finding a bait that is completely different from what everyone else is using and then really stoving that in, that works seriously well. I do that now. So I, I have two main baits that I use, um, which is my hydro milk I've spoke about before and my voodoo, which I've spoken about before. The voodoo is, is my fish meal. Um, and my hydro milk is obviously a, a milk-based bait. A lot of it is hydrolyzed. I'll use one of those two. <clears throat> if the water is getting hammered with fish meals, everyone's on fish meals, I will use the other one and vice versa. Or sometimes if I'm trying to pick out a particular fish, I might choose which one I think is best suited to that. But generally I'll fly in the face of what everyone else is doing. Now I am lucky in as much as, you know, I, I can bait up regularly. I can bait up at least twice per week, most weeks. Um, so I've got a bit of an advantage there. If you don't have that luxury, then yeah, I'd probably go along with with what I presume is your counter to all this. You know, do you just get on the going bait? Yeah, probably. Or I probably would, if I'm honest. Um, it's difficult to answer because I haven't, I've made my own baits for so many years. I kind of, I, I, I just do things in my own set way, which I don't think would really apply to a lot of people's angling situations um anyway i feel like i'm waffling waffling on and going off topic basically is it worth getting a bait and chucking it in lots of different areas so the carp get used to picking up that bait yes i absolutely think it is because and yes i know therefore you're going to create more captures and then you could say well the carp are gonna the bait is gonna blow back in the day we used to say that bait is blown that's when we used to feed a load of a bait catch a load of fish and then the fish wise up to it I think certain baits can blow. Um, I think that's probably more to do with the nutritional makeup of the bait, which is probably best left for another time. Um, so I think that's a real thing. Now, bearing in mind, let's say you've, I don't know what bait you use, um, but let's say you have chosen your bait. It's a good nutritional bait, so the carp will want to keep on eating it. I think if you're chucking that all around the lake, you are really greatly increasing the amount of free baits that that carp gets to ingest without getting hooked so yes you're going to be catching them but if they're if they're if they're consuming i don't know 10 kilos no not even that 25 kilos before they get caught i mean like because if you're really going for it and you're really chucking it all around around the lake 
they're probably going to consume at least 25 kilos aren't they probably more before they they get caught on it i think that fish is going to be so confident in that bait then it's going to be it's going to be job done and by the way once you've caught that fish you don't want to catch it again do you so who cares if that fish has wised up to that bait even though i don't think they will it wouldn't be an issue anyway because you've already caught it um i hope that makes sense there was another part to this wasn't there uh i think i've actually covered it um mm, mm, mm. the last part of this long question apologies if i haven't done done you justice on this but it's been a while since i've done these q and a's um the last part of the question was lastly if all pros are pros and really do catch their own fish because of competence and skill how come they seem to catch using known branded baits uh i think what he's asking is it's probably me reading it wrong but i think what he's asking is you know it, it if the pros really do catch way more than everyone else how come they're doing it just using general off-the-shelf baits now let's just presume they are just using off-the-shelf baits which i think a lot of times perhaps they're not but let's say they are they're really good anglers like terry hearn you know you could you could give him a very average bait i'm not suggesting the bait he uses is average i'm not saying that at all but you could give him an average bait and he would probably get extraordinary results because guess what he is a phenomenal angler that has had a lot of bank time experience and indeed i think spends a lot of time on the bank now that's not to say if you gave him a super duper bait that was a lot better is he going to get better results yeah i absolutely think he is but for him let's say i think the guy we certainly used to let's say he's spending most of his week fishing he's not going to want to be messing around rolling up a bait it's far better for him to have, you know, 50 kilos of his sponsor's bait in the van. He doesn't need to think about bait. He doesn't need to consider it. He's, he's stoving it. That's much, it becomes a point where his time is better spent on actual angling because he is so good at it. Now, someone like me, who's nowhere near as good at fishing as Terry Hearn is, I'm better off spending my time on bait. And for me, certainly, because I don't have much time to actually go fishing, I need to make sure my bait is absolutely the best it can be and you know bearing in mind i'm i'm fishing waters that you know are, are perhaps quite difficult it's even more important you know I'm, I'm fishing against people that are doing three or four nights a week yeah how, how it's extremely hard to compete with that <laughs> just by rocking up and, and using a similar bait to what they do you know you, you have in my opinion if you're going to compete and you're going to catch your targets and I'm very lucky I've, you know, I've managed to do that this year and, and previous years as well. Like I have to have something that is above the quality of the norm in order to make that happen. You just have to. Um, so yeah, there we go. Hopefully that answers the question. Uh, if not, perhaps I'll revisit that in a, in another one. Um, so on to the next one, Carp Chronicles base mix recipe. When is it going to happen? Yeah. So a lot of people have asked about this i probably get this question at least once a week when am i going to come out with a recipe for everyone to use i i will probably cover it at some point um yeah yeah i need to do it don't i i, I do need to do it um and i will do it i i will definitely do it at some point um yeah it's it's difficult because what 
I feel a bit of pressure on that actually because a I'm a perfectionist and I would want to give people a phenomenally good recipe but the problem with that is is it's going to depend if someone's fishing down at linear I would say to them use let's say type a base mix type a ingredients this certain let, let's say I would give them recipe a now if someone was fishing a 200 acre pit that's really low stock I wouldn't give them that same recipe. It would be a completely different recipe for them. So let's say I come out with the, the Carp Chronicles approved recipe. It's, it's quite probably going to be great for some people and not so great for others. Um, and then, there, of course, there's all the people in between. So I'd be very kind of hesitant of that. Um, I mentioned a few episodes ago, actually, that you know I was spending a lot of time answering people's questions on bait formulation, and I, I think I said it jokingly, I can't remember. Um, you know, I, I might do a, a bait consultancy thing so people can, you know, give me a pretty small amount of money, to be honest, and I'll come up with a bait, purely because I just do not have time to formulate everyone that asks me uh, their own recipe. It just, it's crazy. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And I've been doing that. A few people have taken me up on it. And I by no means said this to try and make it into a moneymaker or anything like that. But you'd be shocked at the amount of people that have said, look, can you design me a recipe? I'll pay you for it. Um, which is crazy. I never thought people, you know, people would do that. But that, that's where we are. And I completely understand it, by the way, because, yes, people want to use something different. They want to roll their own bait. But when you, unless you're spending God knows how many hours testing ingredients it's very, very hard to come up with a bait. So I fully understand why people would do it. I just, I never thought when I mentioned it on the podcast that, pe- that you know, people would want to hire me to do it. Um, but nonetheless, it's gone very, very well. What I might do actually, because there is part of me that feels, I don't know, I feel, I feel kind of bad people coming to me for help and me being like, yeah, well, you know, give me a hundred quid or whatever and I'll, you know, design a bait with you and we'll tweak it. And There's something about that that feels kind of wrong. So what I might actually do is do a kind of, and I've thought about this for quite a while, like a bait club, probably just be called the bait club, which isn't very imaginative, but something where it is, you know, I'd have to charge for it to make it worth my time, but like a real cheap monthly subscription type thing. And I don't know how it would look, but maybe there'd be recipes in there. People would get, you know, advice specific to what they were, what they were doing, what they're rolling. Perhaps we'd have a, a a monthly call or something like that. Basically, create this club where we're all creating different baits. We're helping each other. I'm helping you guys. I don't know. I don't know how it would look yet, to be honest with you. Um, but something like that which means I don't have to charge people, you know, a load of money, but I can still help them and I can help more people. I think that would, that would go down really, really well. Um, <clears throat> as well as that, I think so many people want to get into rolling. I have a lot of people reach out to me. Probably every single week, I have at least one person, at, at least one, saying, look, I really want to start rolling. I don't know where to start. What do I do? And it's very difficult because I would waste... if I helped everyone, you know, to the depth that they needed their help, I would probably spend all of my working week helping people. And I obviously can't afford to do that. Um, but at the same time, I want to help these people because <clears throat> I want to help people get into rolling bait. 
Um, I think it's a great thing to do. I think it can give you a genuine edge. And I think far more people should do it. I mean, I really, really do. So, yeah, anyway, waffling on, but I think something like a bait club would work well. If Maybe if that's of interest to you or you think you'd perhaps join something like that, drop me a message and let me know if, if you think it's a go. Obviously, I don't want to do it if no one's interested. Uh, but I don't know, kind of makes sense to me. Um, but, yeah, there we go. We shall see. Um, so, to answer your question... No, I could give you some recipes off the top of my head, but again, as I said, it, it wouldn't be a fix-all for everyone, so probably need to uh, go in more depth for that. Or perhaps I'll do an episode where I give several examples. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get it covered. Let me have a swig, because I've been talking non-stop. My throat has got very, very dry all of a sudden. Um, bear with me. And if anyone's interested... <clears throat> there is a tipple of the episode. I'm not driving, by the way. I'm sat in my car on private property, uh, and I won't be driving. I'm here tonight. Before anyone messages in about drink driving, I'm not doing it. Uh, but tipple of the episode is a Battle Down original. <clears throat> it's a traditional craft ale brewed in the Cotswolds, as am I. And, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's like, um, I'd say it's like an amber ale type thing. Uh, it's really, really nice. Battle Down Brewery, their original craft ale. It's lovely. Right, next question. Uh, spice combinations and recommended blends. Yeah, as I've said before, I'm not a big fan of the hot spices, so like chilli, um, because I think they can cause irritation. To, or I'll rephrase that. I think there's a potential for them to cause irritation to the gut tract of the carp, which I don't think is a great thing. I mean, carp will eat and eat and eat and eat. And I think, you know, if, it, if that is causing localized inflammation, it's probably not a good thing. Um, so I'm not a big fan of those hot spices. That being said, I do use other spices. As I've said before, I'm a big fan of cinnamon. Um, I'm a big fan of clove. Those two go to well, sorry, go together quite well. Um, yeah, so in terms, if you're on about hot spices, um, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Carp enjoy it. That they, they, they like, they like chili. They like paprika. That will catch you fish. But for the reasons I said before, I'm not a big fan of those. In terms of the other types of spices, um, yeah, there's some good ones out there. Uh, cinnamon and clove, as I've just said, I like those together. I like using those with a um, essential oil as well. So I'll use. Generally, I only use uh, one of those, actually. So let's say I'm using cinnamon. I'll use a cinnamon leaf essential oil, which I think is superior to cinnamon bark essential oil. And I'll coincide that with ground Ceylon cinnamon. Um, you get... Th there's actually two different... There's only one true cinnamon, um, but there's something else which is often sold as cinnamon but isn't actually cinnamon, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I like the Ceylon cinnamon powder along with the um, cinnamon leaf essential oil. Brilliant combo. Again, as I just said, clove is really, really good as well. Nutmeg can pair up with it nicely, um, as it does for humans, doesn't it? I mean, those, that spice blend is used in, in, uh, in a lot of cookery and baking, you know, baking spices, which is actually some of the classic flavors uh, have come from the baking industry. Um, yeah, some good product. I mean, bun spice. I, I, OptiBates have their own bun spice. It's called butter spice because it's bun spice with 
different butter lactones and, and things like that. Um, that actual recipe on the uh, spice side of things comes from the baking industry. Um, so yeah, a lot of things come from the baking industry and it's, it's the same for carp. It works phenomenally well. Um, so yeah, again, maybe things like this I can cover in the bait club and really dive into specifics. Um, yeah, probably pretty good, isn't it? Um, right, next question. Minimum amount of opioids from milks to get the carp hooked on them. I don't know. And so Dean, obviously, uh, Dean Towie from Scientific Baits, who I've had on numerous times, good old Dean, he's obviously big on the opioids. I'm big on milks. I think there's a lot more to it than just the opioids, and I'm sure, you know, Dean does as well. But, yeah, I think the opioid side of it is very interesting. It's not what made me develop the hydro milk. Um, there's other reasons for that, why I think milks are amazing and, and really underused. I know why they're underused, because they're bloody expensive and it's not profitable for bait companies to produce them. Um, but there's so many advantages, particularly these new hydrolyzed milks. I mean, I don't know any other, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know any company other than OptiBates that are using hydrolyzed milks in a base mix. There might be, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I certainly haven't seen it. Um, and it's certainly very, very fringe. It's not the done thing. Um, I just think there's huge potential with, with that. And even, you know, old school milk mixes themselves. Certainly with the hydro milk, we tried to have a proper old school milk bait milk protein bait that was brought up to speed with hydrolyzed milks and also different digestive aids. Uh, I think that's a big thing that's lacking from a lot of milk baits, certainly the older style ones. Well, all of them really is, a lot of them aren't that digestible. There's high levels of milks in there. Um, so that's what we did with that. But yeah, I think there's a lot more to milks than just the opioids without a shadow of a doubt. And I know Dean would agree with me on that. I'm not suggesting that he just thinks it's all about the opioids but that's certainly more his kind of thing than my thing. So to answer your question, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I've spoke to Dean about it before. I think Dean was under the impression that you could get, and I might be wrong, and Dean, you're probably listening. Apologies if I've misquoted you here, but I think you said, in your opinion, around about 20%, 25% milks would give you the opioid thing. Maybe it's less than that. I can't remember. Uh, ask Dean, I'm sure he'll, he'll give you his opinion on it. Um, yeah. For me, I think if you're going to use a milk bait, you want a lot more milks than, than 20% anyway, or a significant amount more. Uh, why not really go for it? Sure. You know, a bird food type bait with 20, 25% milks, that's going to work really, really well. But for me, if I'm going to use a milk protein bait, I want much higher levels of milks, um, to really get it rocking. Um, Next question. I've lost my photos here. Where are they? Where's the screenshot? Yeah, next question. Um, bait for auto... Yeah, so I've had a lot of questions on this, actually. What kind of bait do I use in autumn? How do I approach my fishing in autumn? What do I do? Um, yeah, it's a great time of year to fish. We are in autumn now. As I record this, it is the 11th of October. It's an interesting time. For me, you know, over the summer months, I, I see a lot of people, 
<coughs> in recent months what, what are they doing there they're stoving the bait in sure they're you know spotting out a lot of bait and they're fishing bright bright baits over that i think there comes a time i found this for years that actually you probably don't want to be doing that because perhaps the fish have been hammered on bright ones and it's time to be a little bit more subtle for me autumn is that time spring would be opposite i'm like get bright high track baits out there fire singles around I, I do a lot of that in in the spring as well as baiting up heavy but time and place for both but yeah for me now i want to get good quality bait going in i want it to be regular you know we're all looking for that autumnal feed up that we used to get in years gone by i think that's a lot less pronounced these days and everyone i speak to about that agrees with me like that we're not getting that big autumn feed up that we used to for whatever reason um so yeah but i still try and i still kind of work within the lines of that so I, i'm i'm giving them good quality bait regularly uh as i said i'm just getting this spot going so i've been using hemp and and some pellet um i like the scratching pellet scratching elite um you know am i saying that's the great that's the best stuff to feed them on long term no i'm just using that to get the spot going i'm now transitioning on to um uh, a feed bait a boilie and some nuts as well so yeah i'm getting the baits going um i'm getting it in regularly giving them what i feel is nutritionally complete and good for them and will basically you have to think animals they are so much more in tune with nature than we are they are well aware that the winter is coming and they need certain they need certain nutrients they need to fatten up to a degree to move themselves through the the colder winter months where they'll be mostly you know stagnant for want of a better phrase um they're aware of this and they're going to be looking out those nutrients so give it to them it, it makes sense to to give it to them uh as i said i'm not fishing bright baits i'm doing you know what people call match the hatch i don't really like that phrase so i don't think it really translates uh, i mean that's that's a, a fly fishing term but anyway, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm doing in autumn. Um, I'm definitely picking my spots. And also, what I start doing at this time of year is, yeah, I'm getting spots going where I'm going to be catching them in October, November, and December. But I'm also thinking ahead to those really cold months. So, you know, I, I fish through the winter. I'll, I'll be out fishing uh, in January, February. And I will start getting a spot ready now. I mean, I'm a firm believer if you keep a little bit of bait, the right kind of bait trickling in over the winter months in a certain area, you can keep the fish moving and looking for that bait. You can keep them more active. And when they're more active, of course, they keep they need to keep going on to they need to keep going on to the food. They need to, you know, replenish the calories. It's only worth expending calories if they're getting more back, particularly in winter. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking about those spots now. I'm getting those spots clear so I can put a little bit of bait there um yeah so that that's pretty much what i'm doing i don't know if that really helps you or, or answers your question i'm certainly not doing anything you know outlandish or groundbreaking with bait or anything like that i'm getting the right stuff in the right areas key being the right areas uh, and i'm giving it to them regularly um and then when i come to fish i'll use as i'm doing short sessions i use a lot less bait than i bait up with um so yeah hopefully hopefully that helps um 
baiting approach for a new lake, single hook baits or PVA bags. So I presume you mean when you're actually fishing, you know, would I use single hook baits or PVA bags? It depends on the time of year. I'm not a big PVA bag user. I have used them just from developing different products. Um, and I do use them now. I, I use the hydro milk in them um, and, and the primer powder, but more so the hydro milk in PVA bags. Which one would I use out of PVA bags and single hook baits? It depends on the lake, it depends on the stock, it depends how long I'm there for, it depends if I've found the fish or not. I love chucking singles at fish. I will, I love, I absolutely love it. I'll walk around the lake, I'll find the fish, I'll flick out a single, pick a good bait. Obviously you can't just fling anything out at them and expect a good result, but pick the right kind of single, fling it out. I love fishing like that. I really enjoy fishing like that. Um, I don't enjoy fishing with bags as much, but I really do see the merit of them and the fact that you can contain in this bag pretty much anything that you want. You know, you can do much more of a PVA bag than you can say a boiled bait because you you know it has to it has to roll, it has to bind, it's only got a set leak off time, you know, it's a lot locked in, blah 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 blah. Whereas with a bag you can put pretty much anything in there that you want. That's really attractive to me and I find that fascinating. But I guess it's not really in my DNA as an angler. So I tend not to do it too much. Um, so to answer your question, I probably should do it <laughs> uh, a lot more, but I don't. Um, but I mean, I think you're limiting yourself. If, you, if you're just picking one of those two methods, I really think you're limiting yourself. Um, if you were to just take out the hook, hook baits or PVA bit and what would my baiting approach be for a new lake? it would be the same as what I keep saying, um, which is all this podcast seems to be about is baiting up. But yeah, I, I would pick a good spot that I knew the fish would be frequenting or at least going near so they could then latch onto it and I'd be giving it to them. I'd be baiting up regularly. Um, and if I couldn't pre-bait, if I only fish say once a month or whatever, I would be finding those fish. And if they're out in the lake, yeah, maybe pop a bag on. If they're patrolling the margins, maybe use a little loose scattering of feed and a single. Or, or just a single, that's probably the way I would do it, to be honest with you. Um, so next question is home rolling setup advice. So what what is it you need to roll at home? Well, obviously you need your base mix ingredients or a ready-made base mix. Um, but in terms of the actual hardware, again, this feels like a good one for the bait club, <laughs> but I'll, uh, it's not a thing, is it? So I'll answer here. Um, Keep it simple, right? All you need is, so I would use, uh, just get a, pl there's no point shelling out hundreds of pounds on a fancy table or rolling machine. Just get uh, a gardener, a plastic gardener, or there's some cheaper brands now. Get the large size that's, I don't know, what is it, like a foot and a half long. Um, so you want one of those, a table. You'd want a, a gun. <clears throat> Again, make life easy, gardener sell a gun. It's like a calc gun and it's got different nozzles that you can screw on um, that would fit the size table that you want. So you need to buy the table in the size bait you want to use. Let's say you want to use 18 millers, buy an 18 mil table, buy the calc gun and, uh, from gardener and use the 18 mil attachment. Obviously self-explanatory, isn't it? Um, other than that, you want to mix. You can just get a big, a big bowl and mix it by hand. I mean, you don't need to buy a mixer. 
you could get an old Kenwood. That's certainly what I used to, when I first started rolling. I used my mum's Kenwood mixer, um, you know, much to her dismay. But yeah, that's what I used to use. You can use that, but to be honest, you can just mix it up by hand, just as almost as easily. Um, so yeah, all you really need is a big bowl, a table, a gun, and you're good to go. It's like it's it's not as difficult, I think, as a lot of people think. Now. If you're going to be rolling a lot of bait, then sure, you know, you want to up up the ante a little bit, you know. Um, you're probably fine with that same table, but you might want to get an electric gun, <coughs> excuse me, or a pneumatic gun. Uh, five mix do a great one. Um, if you want an electric gun, which is what I use these days, to be honest. Uh, I can't remember the brand, but it's 100 quid, 120 quid off eBay. Uh, something like that. You, Trust me, you don't want to be gunning out 20 kilos of mix through a little manual hand pump <laughs> cork gun. Like your forearms will be on fire. Uh, so yeah, maybe invest in a in a self-powered gun for that, and maybe a mixer as well. I mean, a Ho old Hobart mixer. Uh, you can pick them up secondhand for I don't know, I don't know actually, a couple of hundred quid maybe. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll actually a, a cheaper way of doing that. If you're trying to do this on a bit of a budget is just get one of those big gorilla tubs, um, get a plasterer's whisk, which is basically a big double handed drill with a huge giant whisk on the end. You can just mix up your base mix in that. That's, that's how I used to do it. Um, just in a big gorilla tub, like those flexi tubs. And then, um, yeah, gun it out, roll it on that table. I mean, I used to roll tens of kilos on the large gardener tables without an issue. Um, I use I use a shillum table now, but but that's only because I roll I roll pop ups, don't I? And and lots of different pop ups and I, you know things like that. But yeah, you don't need to spend much money. Basically, figure out: Am I going to be rolling a couple of kilo at a time? If so, just get the cheap gardener gun, the, the cheap gardener table, um, and mix it up by hand. If you're going to be rolling, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 kilos, get yourself a plasterer's whisk, a flexi tub, um, and an electric gun or a pneumatic gun. If you get a pneumatic gun, obviously you need an com air compressor with that. And you're good to go. Uh, and then, oh, forgot, you need to boil it. Um, you could literally just get, say if you're rolling up, I mean, if you're rolling small amounts, just do it in the kitchen on a saucepan. If you're rolling up 5, 10, 20 kilos, um, you can just get one of those um, barbecue, uh, would it be powerful enough? I was thinking those barbecue stoves you get that you put the gas in, that's uh, like a gas can, small gas canister that goes in it, and a big pot, that would probably do it absolutely fine. If you're boiling, if you want to boil more at once, then get a huge pot on one of those floor standing gas rings. I don't know what they're called. Probably not being much help for her. Again, the bait club. I could explain and I could show you, but yeah, that's that. Then you probably want to up your boiling um, if you're rolling decent amounts. But yeah, it doesn't have to cost much. You know, you could get. If you're rolling small, couple of kilos at a time, you're gonna get started well under 50 quid um, for all your apparatus easily. If you're rolling bigger amounts, yeah, maybe 100 to 200 quid. You could probably do it cheaper than that. Um, but yeah, that's probably what you'd be paying for it. 
hopefully that helps. Um, best recipes for OptiBait mixer. Oh, I won't answer that here. I don't know why I screenshotted that. Um, send me a message and I will shoot you some that are kind of specific to you um, and that will be relevant for you. Uh, next question, I got a lot of these, as you can imagine. The magic twig, what, am I, what is my opinion on it? Is it safe? Should we use it? Should it be banned? What do you think? Um, so when all this drama, I mean, I had a load of people messaging me, well, what do you think? I was like, I, I hadn't heard of it until people messaged me about it. Um, <clears throat> obviously, it caused quite a stir in the angling world. I actually reached out to Ali and said, would you like to come on the podcast and just have a very open discussion about it so i wanted to remain neutral and i didn't want to look into it before doing that podcast because i wanted to be fair as possible and take it at face value um ali politely declined the podcast so yeah so obviously i looked into it um it's not good is it i mean it just it's it's not good i i cannot see myself using it um ever do i think it can be dangerous yeah i think it i i really think that can be dangerous i mean you've got these two prongs sticking out which to me they're sticking out the i mean there shouldn't be anything sticking out at all but if there is going to be surely you'd want it facing the other way because as the fish swims the the prongs are sticking in the direction of the fish so it's just that is just waiting to to get snagged up on weed or a snag i just yeah well it's not a good one not good at all so i think they should have designed it differently um i mean if the prongs were facing the other way i still don't think it was safe so i don't i'm not saying that's the answer but i think it could have been designed in a much safer way um but yeah the whole self-triggering i just it's not for me i don't even if it was safe i just wouldn't use it it just doesn't yeah that's not for me um but no i wouldn't i wouldn't use it and to be honest i put it this way i'm i'm involved with a a small club i just help them out because i think it's a nice thing to do i'm wanting to get it banned on that water because yeah there are some snags in there and yeah i just i i think it's gonna end in tears so yeah magic twig each you know i'm not trying to bad mouth anyone but i just think they probably missed a trick when they designed that i really do i'm I'm surprised it i'm surprised it's come out to market i really really am yeah i don't think it's safe um definitely avoid that one in my opinion uh next question only one type of bait for the rest of your life fish meal or milk protein that is just so hard and (laughs) to answer and it's really unfair um because I really struggle to answer. If I could genuinely only go with one. Oh, man. Uh, I think I would go with fish meal. Yeah. The only thing that would make me hesitate on that is fishing in winter. Um, I would... Let, I'm going to cheat. Fish meal for spring, summer, and autumn, and a milk for winter. That's what I would do. 
Um, but I mean, I wouldn't want it just pure milk or just pure fish meal. I'd want other bits in there as well. So yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that answers your question. I kind of cheated a bit. I guess but if, if you really kind of held my feet to the fire and I had to choose, I would just choose fish meal um, forevermore. Um, how are we doing on time? I'm flying through these. I've only got one more question screenshot here. Um, we've only been going 50 minutes. Maybe I've been going too quick and not going into enough detail. I don't know. Um, we have a little bit more beer moment. Um, the question is, solubles in a hook bait. How high can you go? So the answer is it depends. Um, which probably isn't the answer that you want, but it depends how long you're going to be fishing for. So for me, let's say I'm doing a short session of say, I don't know, five hours. I want that bait to be breaking down. I want it to be very soluble. I want it to be leaking out all of those good attractors, those food signals that are going to switch the carp on and hopefully induce feeding. So I would I'd go a lot higher with the levels of the solubles then than I would say if I was doing an overnighter um, and I was going to be flicking the rods out at 7 p.m. and then, you know, winding in at say 9 a.m. and maybe expecting a bite at 7 a.m. Obviously, you don't want it too soluble because it's going to get pecked away by fish. It's going to disintegrate and, you, you know, it's it's not going to be in there. So it really is a difficult one to answer. I don't think there's any one set answer to that. And again, also, it depends on the other ingredients there. So you could have 10% solubles in one bait and 30% solubles in another bait that had perhaps ingredients that really locked the bait up and you're going to get similar performance. Do you see what I mean? It, everything interplays with, uh, with one another, so it depends on the other base mix ingredients. Um, so it's difficult to say. I mean, the Hydro Milk pop-up mix from OptiBaits, um, that is very different from normal pop-up mixes because basically what they... they they're not designed to be soluble. They're designed to be, you know, in fact, insoluble. That one, because it's got the hydrolyzed milks and some other bits, it actually does break down and get softer a lot quicker, um, which some people think, well, hang on, that's not like other pop-up mixes are used. Well, no, it's not designed to be like that. It's designed to be different. I wouldn't leave that out for two days and expect it to be just as buoyant. It wouldn't be, because it's leaked, it's leaked its goodness out. Um, but... I think for that kind of bait, pop-up style bait, yeah, I think a bit more solubility is the way to go and can definitely get you more fish. Um, if you are just rolling your hook baits out of your base mix that, excuse me, that you use then, and it doesn't need to be buoyant, then obviously there's more scope for more solubility uh, because it doesn't need to keep a, a rig cocked and, and popped up, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, there's a bit more, bit more scope for change there. So I'm probably not helping you at all um, with that answer, but it's really, really hard to say because it depends on the rest of the mix. Depends on how long you want it to be active for. And again, it's it's not so. It's not even how long you want it to be intact for. It's when do you presume you're going to get your bite? If you presume you're going to get a take or at least carp come across your rig, say two hours after chucking it in. You're going to want it really soluble, aren't you? Uh, even if you are leaving it, you're leaving the rods out all day. If you think that that specific time is my bite window, then pitch it towards that 
you know it's, it's it's i think sometimes we focus on right well i'm doing a 12 hour session so i want that bait to be intact for at least 12 hours well yeah but let's say your prime bite time is five hours in don't you want it to be primed leaking off at that five hour mark that's the way i view it anyway um yeah that's that's my take on it i'm going to go back over the questions that, I, that got submitted and have a look and see if there is anything else um that kind of takes my eye that i can answer because i haven't been going on for for that long have we um, 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 um let's have a little look pva bag mixes what would i put in a bag mix when using pva bags um good question again it depends where you're fishing and what you're fishing with let's say you're fishing over a fish meal bait i think you're gonna go you're gonna do well to use things like uh, cpsp 90 which is a pre-digested fish meal um it's very very attractive to carp a lot of amino acid leak off a lot of nucleotides in there you're getting a lot of attraction to that one so i would definitely say use that one yeast i think is a great addition as well um you're going to want something to, to bind it all up as well a little bit of filler if you like um yeah things of that nature are going to go really really well personally i love green lip muscle um, full fat glm i think is a phenomenal ingredient i think liver is also a phenomenal ingredient and those things will work well in a pva bag so let's say you mix i don't know this is purely off the top of my head and i'd probably do it differently if i sat down and thought thought about it a bit more but let's say you go 100 grams of cpsp 90 um 50 grams of liver 50 grams of glm um, and 50 grams of brewer's yeast let's just say that um, and then you'd want to add something else to that just to perhaps bulk it out a little bit and and not make it too overpowering i think you could do well on that you know maybe a couple of hundred grams of i don't know tiger nut flour or breadcrumb or something like that um yeah those kind of things but in terms of the attractive pieces i think yeast liver glm good quality fish meal that's that's very soluble such as the pre-digested uh, cpsb 90 yeah i think you're onto a winner there if you're fishing over more kind of uh, if you're fishing over a milk bait although not many people use milk baits so they let's say a nut bait or a bird food i don't know you probably use the same ingredients you're gonna probably get just the same result <coughs> excuse me but in my mind i wouldn't i struggle putting fish meals and things like you know crustacean meals like glm with milks it's just something in my head um so then i would go i would definitely use a hydrolyzed milk uh protein the one that i use is from uh myprotein.com it's very good i'm not sponsored by them obviously um <laughs> but uh yeah it's expensive stuff but that is the best hydrolyzed whey protein that i've ever used pepto pro for hydrolyzed casein um yeah if i was fishing over say the hydro milk well i'd actually just use the hydro milk base mix to be honest with you but if i wasn't using that i was using a different if i couldn't use it for whatever reason i would add things like hydrolyzed whey hydrolyzed casein um maybe some calcium caseinate as well and some i'd want yeast in there yeah i think ye yeast is a great ingredient it really really is not enough is spoken about yeast i don't think it's sort of that ingredient that 
I think most people probably put it in their mix um, as a bit of a token gesture and not many people realize just how effective yeast is. I'm a big fan of it. I love it. Um, and you know, you can get a little bit more creative with the yeast, certainly in bags. You could go for a high nucleotide yeast. It is expensive, but I think it is superior to brewer's yeast, certainly in something like a bag mix. Uh, or Brocacel yeast as well, which is broken cell wool yeast. That's a good one as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's the way I'd go with that. Hopefully that, uh, that answers your question. Um, high attract winter baits. What do you use to get the carp detecting your... And then the message ends. I think they run out of space. Um, so high attract. So basically, I think he's asking in winter, what do I use? Well, I mean, obviously the carp senses are a lot dulled down in winter um, because of the, the the temperature of the water. As well as that, their their digestive enzymes are, are greatly reduced as well. Um, so you have to bear that in mind. But in he's asking about attraction. I use a, a good, I, I think, higher levels of a good quality flavour seem to penetrate through the water column very well and into the receptors. Um, you know, I, I, use, I use the polar fruit um, and, and tutti as well. I'm a big fan of the old, the old tutti fruity flavor. Um, there's a lot of modern copies which aren't very good. Um, wouldn't necessarily use those, but uh, yeah, the, the original tutti fruity recipe, not the old bottles because obviously that's old stuff disintegrates it denatures and i don't use that but yeah basically a good quality flavor i think is really really good way to go um as well as that the you know soluble milks i think are good um so the hydrolyzed hydrolyzed whey is a great starting point for that um and yeah i up everything so if i'm using some organic acids let's say citric acid uh, if i usually use I don't know, I don't actually, I don't rate citric acid as highly as other people do, I use others, but let's say you're using citric acid at, I don't know, two grams an egg, maybe bop it up to three grams an egg for hook baits, uh, maybe in, increase your flavor levels. Um, say if you're using the polar fruit, classic, well, brilliant winter flavor. Um, say if you usually use it at three mil an egg for pop-ups, maybe pop it up to five mil an egg. I mean, that's pretty damn strong. Um, but yeah, you can get away with high levels of flavors and indeed I think it's probably wise to do so just to get that punch through the water column. Um, but yeah, I don't use, I, I was going to say, I don't, mm, yeah, I don't want to give it all away, but there's some other things you can add in, in free form to increase the, uh, the likelihood of carp getting it. And above all, like, you know, your location, location is always important but no, no more so than in winter. Like it really is essential to get your location correct because if you are, you know, 50 yards from the fish, you, you're just not going to pull them in in winter time. I'm talking the dead of winter, you know. It's just not going to happen. Um, a lot of the times on these lakes, the carp aren't active. I think if the lake has got a lot of bird life on that keeps the carp active i think if a lot of people fish it through the wind so you've got leads going in the water that will keep them active as well um so, and there are ways that's you know so there are lakes out there where they do stay active but i think still you know you your location has got to be spot on you need to be where those carp are and you need to give them something that they want to eat um and i'll happily i'll happily fish single if, if i know where the carp are 
more than happy to fish a single in winter. Um, PVA, the breakdown in real cold water always worries me. I'm not too, you know, I don't really do that. Um, but yeah, I'll happily fish a, a well put together single hook bait in winter and no other bait. I'll happily do that. Not always. Sometimes I do use bait. And again, I think this is where the powder blends come in. Um, either in a PVA bag or if you can get it out into the water a different way. If you're fishing fairly close in, as I often do. Uh, and they're not always in winter because the fish aren't always there. But yeah, getting the powders in the water column or liquids in the water column. Um, I think that can that can switch them on. The only thing you have to watch for is confusing the carp. So they don't... Act. Let's say you find the carp, you've got your hook bait out to them, and then you're, you know, filling the water in with different powders. They're, they're going to obviously detect it all, but they're not necessarily going to know where your hook bait is. Um, they can definitely get overwhelm of the receptors, and, and which renders them incapable of homing in on where the actual food item is. So definitely be aware of that. Um, but yeah, hopefully that, that answers your question. Um, pop, pop, pop. Let's have a look. look. Ever tried collagen? I've got a good source of marine and bovine collagen. Yes, I have. Yes. Yep. Um, mm -mm. just having a look. Along. So many people asking about the magic twig. Um, it's crazy. Kind of took the, the angling well by storm. Uh, unusual fish behavior. Reactions to bait slash rigs. Curiosity of carp. Yeah, um, I think carp are very curious. I really do. Um, I mean, I know we always, certainly me, when I'm stalking, I'm out, or even just walking the lake. I'm very aware of how heavy-footed I am, putting things down, moving on the bank. You know, I'm, I go around the lake like I am, <laughs> like a panther stalking its prey. Like I'm very light-footed. I'm very conscious of my foot placement. I'm conscious of how I climb trees because that noise gets reverberated through the trees and into the water column much more than you'd think. Um, that being said, there's different types of noise, isn't there? You can... I'm sure a lot of you will have experienced this. Perhaps some of you will have. You could be wading a margin spot, you know, dropping your rod in or you have a pokey stick. And I've had carp come pretty close to see what that disturbance is. Now, perhaps when people are walking around, they're aware of what that is. Perhaps, you know, someone actually wading in the water is obviously going to be very different for them. So perhaps that's why they become um, inquisitive as well as that, you've got to think you're stirring up the bottom so different signals are going in the water column. But yeah, I, I don't have a doubt that carp are very inquisitive, inquisitive and they seem to they seem to have like a real strong desire to... Let's say you get a lake that floods, like the carp, they'll try and get out of there. <laughs> they seem to have a strong desire to, to explore. Let's say that then. Um, yeah, that they... And say... I don't know. Maybe other fish do as well. Maybe it's maybe that's a general fish thing. I don't know. I've studied carp a lot more than I have done any other fish. Uh, in fact, I don't really look into look at other fish in the same way. Um, so maybe it's just a fish thing. But yeah, I think they're very curious. They want to explore. Um, and yeah, I think you can use that to your advantage. You had a load of heavy rain. If you've got a, an inlet pipe that's pumping the water in. 
I think that can be a good shout. The cart will often, you know, go to that area, uh, certainly for a while, um, to see what, what's going on. Um, yeah, I think they're extremely inquisitive creatures. And I think you can use that, you know, to your favour. Uh, what was the other part? Reactions to bait and rigs. Yeah, I mean... I've seen, I've seen, and you never really know what's going on, do you? But I've seen carp circling rigs in the margin and are they, are they looking at it? Bearing in mind, they've got eyes on the side of, of their, uh, their heads. They don't necessarily like swim up to something and (laughs) and look directly at it, but I've certainly seen them circling things. I've seen them acting differently once a rig has been lowered in, even if they haven't been on, they've perhaps wandered off the spot. They've come back. It's almost like they know something. It's like if someone's been in your house, you know someone's been in your house or something's moved, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I've seen them flank down on the bottom. You know, again, are they trying to pick up the line to see if there's if anyone's fishing for them or is it just something that they would be doing anyway? I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it's hard to to say this out loud, but I think sometimes they're aware that something isn't right and they will rub the spot. They will do things that are unusual to try and suss it out, test the water, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I do think they do that. And I've, I've certainly see them, seen them do things that I don't think are really explainable by any other way other than that, yeah, they're, they're trying to suss things out. Um, and to bait as well. I, I mean, you can definitely overdo flavors in bait you can definitely overdo certain attractors in bait where it's too overwhelming and they'll perhaps come up they'll approach the bait and obviously i do a lot of tank testing pond testing and lake testing so i get to see these things but i've certainly seen it where they'll get to come up they'll come up to the bait very eagerly and as they get closer to it they'll almost kind of back off as if to say like oh wow that's that's too strong that's way too much um so yeah yeah, I, I, there's, I think, I think there's a lot going on in the carp's world that are sometimes hard for us to relate to, um, and sometimes we can, uh, what's the word, anthropomorphize it. We can kind of put that into human terms more so than it is. I, I think you know, using the example of say very strong baits, you could look at that and it, they think, oh, that, hang on, that's that's so strong that has to be man-made i'm scared of that i'm going to back away maybe it's not that maybe it's actually just like you know have you ever been around someone that wears too much perfume it's like jesus christ you want to get away just because it overwhelms your senses um so we have to be careful about how we perceive their behavior but yeah i've certainly certainly with the rigs and lines and things like that they i've certainly seen them do some things which i personally put down to them being suspicious and try and figure things out um it's, a, it's an interesting thing for sure. I don't know about you. I could watch carp respond to things all day. You know, um, they are, you know, put a, a couple of coins, like some 50 pence pieces or whatever in a tank. And they, they'll, not all of them, but some, they'll give that a little nudge. They'll, you know, try and figure out what that is all about. Um, it's interesting. They are inquisitive creatures. I really think they are. Um, what else have we got? I think that's probably it um, without, you know, without covering some things which, you know, I, I probably shouldn't cover. 
um, and some other things that are probably you know not that interesting to everyone um, I think that's probably it probably a very short episode compared to what you're usually used to from us um, apologies about that I do have numerous guests lined up in the future my plan is to become much more regular with these podcasts um, obviously that does depend upon guests availability and you know it's a forever battle of people saying they'll come on and then trying to tie them down to a date is a lot harder than people would think so it can be tricky um, but uh, yeah I will absolutely do my best to be coming to you much more regularly than I have been um, thank you for for bearing with me and and uh, listening on and yeah that is it for this episode i look forward to catching you in the next one. Oh, by the way if you haven't done so already it would really help out this podcast if you left us a review on either itunes the apple podcast app or on spotify i think you can leave reviews now um, it just helps me understand that people are watching tell me what it is you like about the episode that's always good and obviously it helps us stay relevant and obviously if people aren't listening there's no point in me doing these episodes is there so uh, yeah a review would be fantastic if you haven't done so already on the apple podcast app or the spotify app that's it guys thanks ever so much for listening i'll catch you soon